you were listening to the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. Red Hill Church is a gospel-centered, missional church in the Edwardsville, Glen Carbon community of the St. Louis Metro East. We exist to glorify God and make disciples by sharing the gospel and sharing our lives. I'm going to read Matthew 7, 13 through 14, and 21 through 23. I'll give you a minute to flip there in your Bibles. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter through the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of the Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? driving out demons in your name? And how do we not do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. The word of the Lord. All right. Well, as Bailey was saying, it's been an adventure of a morning. And uh, yeah, my wireless mic still isn't working properly, so I'm on the handheld. And uh, if you feel like you're a mess and your life is a mess, welcome home. Like you found it. You've been looking for it. You found it. You found the right spot. Um, we, uh, we had our, uh, like our first sermon of the week last week with uh, Make It Weird Sunday, uh, just talking about the importance of really having these intentionally invasive type relationships where we're trying to learn who this other person is so that I can really love them, really serve them, really minister to them, and, uh, and really be close to them. That requires vulnerability and it requires courage, but we're either gonna be vulnerable with friends who love us or vulnerable to an enemy who seeks to devour and destroy us. And we don't really have a choice about vulnerability, just who we're going to be vulnerable to. And this week uh, is kind of a stopgap week because next week we're starting Genesis. And so this week I wanted to talk about something I think is like maybe a missing element right now at Red Hill where there is, there exists this deep love for one another. It really, it really is present. Like there, the, everyone who is part of this seems to really be leaned into it and benefiting from it and loving the people who are part of it. And I wanna make sure um, that, that that second commandment doesn't become our first commandment. That loving others becomes a result of first loving God and uh, living a life that's dedicated to him. Because when we look at the life of Jesus, it's easy to think that we can take his life and copy it as a second commandment life. But Jesus' second commandment was fulfilled to love his neighbor as himself because his first commandment was filled, uh, fulfilled, to love God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you can't ever actually do the second one without doing that first one. And so what I hope for us, what I hope for Red Hill, and when I say Red Hill, I mean me as well. Um, if you're new here, I, I want to be the first learner, even as I'm speaking, asking the Holy Spirit to let me be a learner before I am a, uh, a teacher, that we would live with a gospel lean. Um, I, I've read that learning to walk 
for a baby when they learn to walk, that walking is actually a reflex, not actually a learned movement. And that's why you will see uh, parents hold their babies by the fingers and tip them forward and the baby begins like moving that foot, that that first indication of walking is a result of a posture that makes you feel like you're going to fall if you don't step forward. And the life that I want is a life of leaning towards the mission of God, leaning towards what God's called me to do and who God's called me to be, and our church to be leaning towards that same end that will cause us to take steps, that will cause us to take some responsibility, to take ownership, and importantly, to take action. Because one of the consistent messages about the gospel is that we don't attain salvation by works but we have a salvation that causes works. That those of us who have been saved, those of us who have been reached with the good news of Jesus are to be transformed people. We're to be people who live with a lean that causes us to walk over and over and over again in the Bible and even in the passage, in the context that we have for this passage today, we read things like, if you say that you love your brother, but you don't do anything, you don't really love him. If you see somebody who's hungry or thirsty or needs to go to the bathroom and you say, I'm sorry, you can't use our bathroom. You know, if the pipes are frozen, I think there's a get out of punishment card for that in the footnotes of your Bible. But it, if you really love, it requires us to act. If we really believe, it requires us to act. There's a great example of this type of behavior even here this morning where people who didn't really know for sure what they were doing began trying. And I wanna say God can do a lot with try. And God can do a lot with people who don't know a lot. Uh, I was talking to Nate, and it was good to see Nate and Matt, who basically built this whole facility, uh, back at it again this morning. Matt was somewhere up in the rafters, and somebody was standing on a step stool that was on top of some scaffolding, and I was like, who is that? And, and sure enough, it was Nate, and he was like, I saw a hole in the roof, and somebody was up there, so I figured I'd go up and see what's going on, how I could help, right? And that's the mentality that we ought to be living with. Not necessarily for fixing pipes, but understanding that we live in a world that's fallen and that's broken. We live with people that are walking down the broad way. In this passage, Jesus is teaching. He says, enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. And how narrow is the gate and difficult that road that leads to life and few find it. And I want to tell you, I have just completely abandoned my notes this morning because I made a mental turn at about 9.52 where I was like, all right, we're shortening the service and we're shortening the sermon and I'm cutting out the middle chunk where we talk about false teachers. I'll just go ahead and cut to the end of the page for you. Anybody who wants you to glorify them or anybody who says that you can purchase God's favor or that you can earn God's blessing just move on. That's not the gospel. That's not what a son or a daughter has to do to be loved by a father. Not by a good father, and certainly not by a holy, heavenly father. So if you're not sure if they're a false teacher, come and talk to the elders, talk to your GC leader, or talk to another person who's a follower of Jesus, or take their teaching and say, does it work for poor people in a third world country? Is it still good news for them? And if it is not good news for that person, 
then it is not the gospel. And if you come across a faith healer, send them to a children's cancer hospital. Because if they're really a faith healer and they really can heal people, let's send them to people who really need healing. Not people who will pay them money in hopes of getting some type of relief. Which really kind of ties in, not surprisingly, to the overall message that Jesus is trying to say. I was asked a question this last week that really kind of got me to thinking, like, what makes a good day for you? What, what has to be true for you for it to be a good day? And what about a good week? And what does a good life look like? And if you're young, you're probably thinking along the lines of your future orientation. Like I would have said, probably, I would have probably said, I don't need to be rich. I just want to have enough money to be comfortable. And I'd like to be able to pay all my bills. That would be great. Maybe put some money away and then someday, a hundred years from now, don't worry, babe, I'm super healthy. When I die, to leave a, a little bit of money to my kids and grandkids and great-grandkids if we've got them and whatever. Like, I, I, I would describe for you my desires in life would be summed up, I think, with just one word, comfort. I would like to be comfortable I would like to have cars that work and friends that love me and a job that's fulfilling. I would like to have days that are easier than harder, weeks and months that would stack up and I would feel like I was gaining ground and not losing it. I would like to have a life of meaning. Sure, I want a life of meaning, I would say, but not a life of difficulty. And the problem with that is that it doesn't line up, A, with reality for anybody. And it doesn't line up, B, and more importantly, with the gospel. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. And then skip down to verse 14 at the end. He says, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The path that we're on as followers of Jesus is difficult to find, and it's a hard road. It's a hard journey to take. And we want to say that's really just not fair at all. If we were to flip over to 1 Peter chapter 1, you see this incredible little passage, Peter writing, verses 5 through 7, I'm going to read. Here's what Peter says to the Christians that he's writing to. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You're being guarded. All right, we like the sound of that language, right? You're being guarded for a salvation that is to, that is to be revealed, like the final saving is later. Like actually, like we say, I got saved. It's like if you're in the middle of an ocean and someone throws you a life preserver and pulls you onto the boat, you're like, I have been saved, but you still have to get back to land. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to live on that, you know, Taiwanese fishing boat that pulled you out of the ocean. You want to get back to some land. Peter's saying, you have been saved. And you're now being guarded through faith 
for that final salvation that's to be revealed. And he says, you rejoice in this as well you should. You should be happy about this. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We are being conformed. We have not been conformed. We are being made into the image of Jesus. Hi, Phoebe. We have not yet been made into the image of Jesus. In other words, this is the preparation phase for us. You are in a preparation phase right now. And how does Peter describe it? Suffering, grief, and trials. I hope that that helps your life make a little bit of sense. And you go, well, that's really not the life that I want. That's the life that everyone has. But for us, it's important to know there's a purpose in life. And there's a purpose in what you're going through. There's a purpose in all of it. The language that Peter uses is metallurgy language. And I know almost nothing about metallurgy. Here's what I know. You can find it in the ground sometimes in place. People find it in the ground. But when they find precious metal, it's usually in an ore state where it has all kinds of impurities and stone and other things in it. So what does the metallurgist do? He takes that precious metal that he's found or that she's found, she puts it into an unbelievably hot pot where all the impurities will be either burned up or scraped off so that the final result is that that metal, which is precious, can be made as strong and as beautiful as, as possible so that it can be used for its intended purpose. In other words, the desire inside of me, and probably also in you, is for the broad road which leads to destruction and is a much easier feeling type of path, but doesn't take us where we want to be. It's so hard to grab a hold of this to understand that all of this life for us is preparation phase. The Bible teaches us that we will rule and reign with Jesus. So if you have a vision of heaven where you're wearing a toga and playing a harp, then you have grossly misunderstood what eternity will be like. It will be more like Adam in the garden before the fall, where there is purpose, where it's amazing. I can't steal too much from next week, but God creates the animals and then tells Adam, you name them and I'll live with what you decide. That we will rule and reign with Jesus. So this life is the preparation phase where God is working to make you into the image of Jesus as strong and beautiful as possible. We will likely have some tests of the emergency broadcast network. Many of you are like, what are you even talking about? Because the only TV you've ever seen came through the internet and you controlled it with your phone. Back in my day, back in the 1900s, I was the remote control. 
and we loved it. You never heard us complaining. We had one game, it was called Stare at the Sun. You stare at the sun until your eyes burst into flames. But every now and then, you'd get this beep and a blue screen, and it would say, this is not an emergency. This is only a test of the emergency broadcast network. And then it would tell you like, and you're like, okay, that's great. I don't, I still don't know what to do if it actually is an emergency. Like, do we stop, drop, and roll? Do we get down in the fetal position and put our head between our knees? Do we single file, walk out of the house and meet out by the swings? Like, I don't know what, what are we supposed to do if it actually is an emergency? But this is a test. This is only a test. This is a test. This is only a test. Well, I don't like tests. Well, no one likes tests. But everyone likes being capable and competent. Everyone likes feeling like they can do the thing. And God loves you. He's not finished with you. He's going to work on you. And Jesus has one clear message for you. You are either going to be shaped into his image or you are going to, in futility, try to shape the world into your image without even knowing who you are. Being conformed into his image requires some pressure and some heat. Being conformed not into some version of Jesus, but into the Jesus of the Bible who said, I don't say anything unless God tells me to say anything. I don't go anywhere unless God tells me to go there. I don't do anything unless God tells me to do it. Whatever I see the Father doing, that's what I do. Whatever the Father wants me to do, that's what I do. Whatever the Father wants me to say, that's what I say. I don't do anything else. I don't say anything else. Everything about the life of Jesus was intended to bring glory to his Father who is in heaven. Nobody ever lived a harder life than Jesus. Nobody ever lived a more meaningful life than Jesus. And Jesus is the model that we are being crafted into. And when you and I resist the hard times and the hard moments, not that we can't grieve them, not that we can't be saddened by them, but when we try to avoid the difficulty that God puts us into, when we run from it, instead of facing off with it and figuring out what God is trying to do in us and through us, then we are abandoning the work of God in us. Everybody goes through a hard time. Everybody does. It's very important that we keep the first commandment, the first commandment. It's very important because we're being conformed and we're being prepared. This is the phase where God's working to make you and me as strong and as beautiful as possible. And this is how we find life. Not by looking for suffering, not by looking for grief, and not by looking for trials. Please do not be an Eeyore. Some of you don't know who Eeyore is. Read a book, people. Watch a cartoon every now and then. Don't be the person who's looking for persecution. You don't have to go hunting for persecution. If you will commit your life to honoring and glorifying God, persecution will come and find you, and you will need some friends. You'll need some family. You'll need some love. That's the narrow gate. That is the difficult way, and that is the only path to life, and not very many people find it. That's the truth.
But there's also a wide gate with a broad road that leads to destruction. Lots of people find that broad road and that wide gate and that easy path. And by the way, it's, a, it's that, that well-traveled road is typically oriented by helpful actions, hopeful assumptions, and good intentions. Very, very, very few people in this life are like, I want to be a terrible person. Very few people set out and say, I'm going to just try to be evil, as Creed says. Not so much bad as evil. What about those guys? Most people think they're doing pretty good. Most people are trying to be pretty good people. The problem is, is that that path leads to destruction. Mark chapter 8, I, I want to read from Mark chapter 8 for you, uh, verses 34 through 37. Jesus calls a crowd together along with his disciples. He says to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up, take up your own cross. I'm heading towards death. If I'm carrying a cross, it means I'm heading to, I'm moving towards death. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? The deception of the broad path is believing that because it's easy to find, it's easy to travel. That's the deception. Is that simply because it's easy to find, that makes it easy to travel. But the reality of this road, the reality of this path, is that it's filled with restless anxiety, endless frustration, explosive anger, and ambiguous outcomes. People who walk this path, that's the general characteristics of their lives. At the end of this passage, which we're not going to get to, um, Jesus talks about two different kinds of people who build their lives on two different kinds of things. And the wise man builds his house upon the rock. Go to vacation Bible school, somebody. The rain comes down and the floods come up. The house on the rock stood firm. That's right. Stands firm. The fool builds his house upon the sand. The rains come down, the floods came up, and the house on the sand goes splat, right? Everybody loves that part. It goes splat. Restless anxiety, endless frustration, explosive anger, and ambiguous outcomes. This is the, that last one's the craziest part to me. That people will spend their entire lives doing and believing that that's the purpose of their lives without ever considering who they are becoming. And that long string of habits and choices is making a person without even realizing that it's happening. That long string of choices that you're making it's turning you into a person. We're human beings, not human doings. But the primary place where we search for meaning is somehow in what we can accomplish 
and in what we can accumulate. And what kind of person does that turn us into if we go down that path? And the honest answer is we're not really sure who we're becoming or who we're supposed to become or what we're supposed to base that off of. What are we even trying to aim at? And if you ask the broader culture, the answer will be a person of love. Well, can you help me understand then how you define love? Well, love is by being kind to everyone and allowing them to think and believe anything that they would like to think and believe. And anyone who has ever dealt with a child in any capacity or a friend in any capacity or a spouse in any capacity or any other human being understands that we are prone to self-destructive habits, tendencies, and desires. And to affirm everything that an individual wants is the death of that person and is a grave unkindness. So then, what is love? Well, to allow for full autonomy... And we have never found a fully autonomous person. And those who have come closest to full autonomy are those who have dealt with the deepest levels of despair or who have had the most destructive impact in history. It's important for us to understand we're supposed to be becoming like Jesus. We should know who Jesus is. We should know how Jesus spoke, what Jesus acted like, how he invested his relational time. How did he engage with those who were sinful yet seeking? How did he engage with those who appeared holy but yet were cruel? And what was the end goal of all of those engagements? Why did he act those ways? Because we have an entire culture of people, an entire generation of people, and it's always true. And sometimes it's us who jump over to that path who say, all I really want is a comfortable life. And they are on an endless quest for comfort. The vast majority of the sins that we commit are us attempting to take a shortcut towards heaven. To take a shortcut to try to find comfort and ease. Trying to avoid the realities of the moment that we find ourselves in. Not trusting God and instead saying, I'm going to take this life by the hands and I'm going to take control of my own fate and destiny. And that's going to be the easier path. In verses 21 through 23, Jesus tells us something that's so important. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do miracles in your name? And then I will announce to them. Notice that Jesus is the one making the pronouncement here. He's the one declaring this. I never knew you. Depart from me, 
lawbreaker. You workers of iniquity, your translation might say. Matthew 25, 46, Jesus says that on that day, he'll say to some, after separating them, enter into your eternal rest. And to others, enter into your eternal punishment. And it is really, really, really critical. It's the most important issue in this life for us to understand that being a good person who does good or even does great things, even does spiritually significant and wonderful things, is not enough. I mean, the resume of these people who are going to spend eternity in hell is unbelievable. First of all, they said, Jesus, I said, Lord, Lord, isn't that what I was supposed to do? I walked an aisle. I prayed a prayer. I got into the dunk tank at church. I let the pastor do his thing. I, I said that you were Lord. I declared that you were Lord. I spoke the words out loud. Not only that, I drove out demons in your name. I, to my own knowledge, have not ever cast out a demon. It's on my bucket list. Let me know if anything comes up. The thought of it is kind of terrifying, especially if you read Acts and the seven sons of Sceva who try to cast out some demons and the demons are like, we know who Jesus is. We've heard of Paul, but we don't know you. And then they beat the stink out of the seven sons of Sceva and the seven sons of Sceva run out of town without their clothes on, bloodied and bruised and humiliated. So there's a level of like, you better be ready if you try. But these guys cast out demons in Jesus name and performed many miracles in your name. It would be cool to do one miracle. These guys performed many miracles in the name of Jesus. And the response of Jesus is, I don't know you. Depart. I don't know you. Verses 24 through 29 stress the importance of actually doing what God has taught us. I have in my closet, given to me a long, long time ago, back when it was really cool to wear baggy things. Does anybody remember that? It's coming back around. I can feel it. It's coming back around. That loose fit is coming. I was given a Barry Sanders jersey, number 21, bright orange, Oklahoma State. It's clearly made either for someone significantly larger than me or for someone much larger than me who's also wearing shoulder pads and I don't mean like the suit kind I mean the football kind because it's monstrous I put a t-shirt on then a hoodie on and then the jersey on and it's still way too big but I still wear it and yet and yet Oklahoma State will not let me play They have no interest in me participating with their football program. I have the jersey. I will get the other gear if they need me to. Assume they have it. But they don't want me to do it. Because nothing about my life says football player. Nothing about me as a person says football player. I retired from football in the sixth grade when Mark Tidwell threw me 15 feet in the air and I started crying like a baby. My coach was like, this is not going to be your sport, buddy. 
and he was right. I guess the question is, like, am I actually being conformed into the image of Jesus? Or have I settled for some kind of milk toast version of Christianity where I just try to be a basically good person who said a prayer once and spends a little bit of time on Sunday mornings in a specific place? Does my life in any way resemble the life of Jesus? I'm not saying everybody needs to wear sandals. I'm not saying you got to go like 40 days without food and water. I'm not saying that you got to get 12 people to start following you around with the full knowledge that one of them is going to betray you. I'm simply saying we have just this one life. C.T. Studd's great poem, he says, only one life, twill soon be past, and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Just one life. And I don't want to waste it. I don't want to waste it. And if I'm honest, a lot of the time, I'm just wasting it because there's this desire inside of me to just be comfortable. To just say, how can I arrange my life so that I'm just comfortable? I don't care if our church is big or small. I don't care if our church shrinks and we can't keep this building. It's fine. The pipes freeze. You know, it's not like this is the Taj Mahal or something. This is a box that we meet in. If our church grows and we have to have a different space, whatever, that's great. The desire for me is not to put more people inside of a room on Sunday mornings. If, that's wonderful. It's fun to be in a church that's growing. It's exciting. But I'm just saying that each of us has been given this unique experience of living. And the goal of discipleship is not for all of us to form into a mirror image of one another, but to say, what would it look like if Jesus was alive and living inside of me? Going through the life that I am going through with the particular challenges, the particular geography, the particular income, the particular relationships and interests, the particular things that you hate and things that you love. And what would it look like for Jesus to live that life? Because that's what discipleship is pointing us at. Various trials of many kinds for various people of many kinds so that everyone can see that anyone can be loved by Jesus and can follow Jesus. It's just important for us to take the commands of Jesus seriously because we know that eternity is real. It's really real. And if the way that you're following Jesus doesn't every once in a while make your heart flutter a little bit, and by that I mean like, oh man, Jesus, really, I feel like the Spirit is telling me to do this, and I do not want to do it. Like that sound, like, I don't want to talk to this person. I don't want to call that, I don't want to have to go apologize to that person from 10 years ago. I don't want to have to face that situation. Like, Okay, here I am in line at Artisan and Jesus is telling me that I'm supposed to invite this person in front of me to come to church. I got to be weird. This is going to be weird. I don't want to do it. 
That's, that's, where, that's where the good stuff is. That's where the stories are. That's where the adventure is. The reason that your Christian life is boring is because you are boring as a follower of Jesus. If you want a Christian life that's filled with excitement, you just have to do one simple thing. One simple thing. Do it today. It'll make your heart race. Find somebody you don't know. Look at them and say, when's the last time someone told you that God loves you? And see where the conversation goes. Some of you are like, well, I'm an introvert. Well, Jesus was fully human, which means he knows what it feels like to be an introvert. You're not being shaped into the image of introversion. You're not being shaped into the image of extroversion. You're not being shaped into the image of Enneagram 7 or ENFP or the... the IS combination of the disc scale or whatever other personality inventory you have taken. You are being shaped as that person into the image of Jesus. And what's at stake? Heaven and hell for the friends and family and neighbors and co-workers and employees and loved ones and enemies and friends for our children and our grandchildren, for our parents and our grandparents, for our aunts and for our uncles. And they don't need to see someone who is perfect and flawless in every way and never has issues and never has problems and never has struggles. What they need to see is a real life person going through real life pain, real life problems and real life failures who says, but God is with me in those and I'm being formed. I'm fully aware of my imperfection and I'm being formed into the image of Jesus. If we don't discover a missional lean, if we don't discover inside of our church body and particularly inside of our membership, a posture that demands movement, then we might as well close the doors and go somewhere else because we can still be friends without doing this. The most famous verse in the Bible, and I'll close with this, is of course John 3.16. That says that God loved the world so much that he took action that was costly to him. He gave what was precious to him. To people who largely didn't want it who would not only reject it, but who would despise it. And why would he do that? Because he so loved the world. And I would like to suggest to my own self and to you that what is missing from Red Hill primarily, deeply, and not not absent, But what needs to be stoked into a flame, like Paul told Timothy, that gift that's inside you that that just needs oxygen to breathe on it, is love. Love for God that causes love for others. 
We have a warm affection, and that is a good place to start. I'm not down on our church. I love our church. It's my favorite church. I've been a part of a lot of churches. I don't want to go anywhere else. Nobody's offering me anybody. I'm nervous about those pipes, guys. They're groaning. The whole creation groans. That's what the Bible says, including <laughs> our pipes. Longs for the coming of Jesus. That's making me so, I'm just like, we're all going to get baptized and I'm counting every one of them. If the pipes burst and you all get wet, I'm recording record numbers this Sunday. No, I just, if I tell Sarah that I love her, but I'm not willing to serve her, even and especially when I don't feel like serving her, that's something less than love. And if we're going to say that we love God, that requires us to build our lives on that testimony. That's what it means to be a wise person who builds your house on the rock, is to say, I, I'm not just giving some verbal assent to the idea that I love God. I'm actually saying my whole life is built upon that one principle. So everything that I'm trying to do is built on this principle that I love God. So if a toilet needs to be unclogged, I unclog it. If somebody needs to crawl up in the roof, I'll, I'll hold a light for them. If my neighbor needs help mowing their grass, I'll go over and do it. If I have someone around me who doesn't know Jesus, I'll just tell them what Jesus did for me. And we go, well, that's hard and difficult. Have you ever tried to build a house on cliffs? That seems like a tough prospect to me. I mean, metaphors limited, but you get what I'm saying. Just, I think most of us would say, I love God. And I'm just wondering if that has affected our daily lives at all. If that has affected the way that we think about our situation and circumstance. If that has affected the way that we think about our problems and pain and our suffering. And if that's affected the way that we think about our neighbors and our friends and our enemies. If you're here and all you have done is say, Lord, Lord, but your life has not been transformed, then I invite you to consider whether or not you made a profession of a thought or a profession of the reality of your faith. If you prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into your heart as a kid, but nothing changed about your life, I invite you to consider whether or not you gave him your life or some tip of the cap. And if you have given Jesus your life, then I invite you to consider what is the one thing, one step. You don't need to take every step. You don't need to do everything. But what's the one thing that Jesus is inviting you to reconsider? What's the one area of your life, the one person in your life, the one thing that he's saying, I need you to do this because I want you to be as strong and beautiful as possible. And will you let that love of God determine that action in your life? Jesus told his own disciples, if you love me, you'll obey me. You'll obey my commands. His commands aren't wearisome. His commands aren't burdensome. I love you, Phoebe.
it's important for us not just to care about the people who are present in this space and who have locked arms with us in this mission. It's important for us to say the love of God determines the direction, the course, the action, the words. It determines the path of my life. You'll never have an easy life, but you don't have to have a lonely life and you don't have to have a purposeless life, and you don't have to have an aimless life. You can know who you are becoming. And what is God doing in you right now? Preparing you, always preparing you. He's preparing you. Let me pray for us. God, we only know what love is because you first loved us. Help us not to invert the two great commandments upon which all the law and the prophets hang and help us not to make number two number one and not to take number one lightly or theoretically. But to say, the great joy of my life is to be a servant in the house of the king. Would you make our posture have just enough lean to create movement inside of us? Help us not to be self-condemning for where we are. Help us not to be dishonest about where we are. Help us to be honest and vulnerable in your presence. Send the comforter, not to make us feel good about where we are, but to give us strength and courage to take the next step of obedience with you. And let us live lives that are so much fun and so engaging and so adventurous that our Apple watches and Garmin watches are sending us some alerts going, your heart rate seems to be going a little high right now for not having any physical activity. Help us remember that we're made in your image, we're made for your glory, and someday we're going home as a finished product. Have your way in us. We have at the front um, the elements for the Lord's Supper, which you're invited to partake in if you're a follower of Jesus. I'll be available to pray with you or to talk to you or to counsel with you. Josh is here, Stephen is here. We're glad to do any of those things with you and for you. If you're confused about next steps, like what am I supposed to do with my life? How do I let God's love determine the course of my life? Don't leave without talking to somebody about it. it. Doesn't have to be one of the elders. It can be anybody here. Like I'm just looking for some help, trying to figure out what I do next. Find a few people who don't know what to do. Start by asking the question. It's a great place to start. It's a great place to start. And don't be afraid to just try some weird stuff, like being in line at Starbucks and telling the person in front of you, when's the last time that somebody told you that God loves you? It's a, it's a great adventure. We're in it together. When you're ready, you can come to the table and I'll be available to pray with anybody who'd like to.
Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Red Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you have any questions about this message, our church, or the gospel, or if you'd like to get in touch with one of our elders, you can visit our website at www.redhill.church. Navigate to the I'm New tab and click the option for Connection Card. Filling out this online card will allow you to get in touch with us and one of our elders will follow up as soon as possible. Thanks for listening and be sure to check back next week as we continue to study and apply God's Word together.